0: I told you a number of weeks ago that I have a, a pretty big interest and love for things around World War II and uh, around the military, and just uh, I've always been interested in that period of time and history. And so, uh, my family, my wife, this week uh, for Christmas got me a book called Band of Brothers, and it's about the uh, Easy Company from the 101st Airborne. And uh, maybe some of you have seen the miniseries that was made a few years ago on uh, HBO, and it's based off of this book, which is is based off all of the history around Easy Company and the 101st Airborne. And all that they did throughout the, the war. And during their training, before they jumped into uh, Europe, they trained in Toccoa, Georgia, and there was a mountain that they had to run up called He. And this mountain became the bane of their training. Anytime they got in trouble, three miles up, three miles down, they would have to run up this mountain. Um, during their regular training, they would go on marches, full packs up and down this mountain. They hated this mountain mountain. But this also became their mantra because the word Curahee in Cherokee actually means to stand alone together, to stand alone together. And so they would say, hey, we're going to run Kurhi, but oftentimes they weren't doing it alone. They were alone together with the rest of their company. And that would become a defining mark of this group who uh, was started before the war and ended right after the war. And it would become a a mark of the Easy Company, 101st Airborne, as they on D-Day were dropped behind enemy lines the night before and were completely surrounded by the enemy. And it would become a mark for this company who, uh, just a few months later, would be uh, some of the only Americans that would drop into Holland during Market Garden, an operation that ended up failing. And then they would be uh, on the front lines once again in a a famous battle that you are probably familiar with, the Battle of the Bulge in Bastogne. It was Easy Company. These men who had jumped into Normandy on D-Day had jumped into Holland and now had fought through one of the worst battles in all of the war until Patton's army came and relieved them. And it was amazing to me to read about some of the things that they went through and endured this week as i read through this book and uh, all the things that they faced and the insurmountable odds that they went through. But one of the things that kept striking me and just kind of uh, kept hitting me this week as I was reading about all these things that they went through is that many of the men were injured, not just once, but multiple times, and many of them would go AWOL from the hospital not because they were eager to get back to battle, but because they were eager to get back to their brothers. They didn't want to get placed with another company because they could trust the men that they had trained with and the men that they had been in combat with. They were eager to get back to their brothers. And in fact, what got them through not only D-Day and jumping into Holland and and going through the Battle of the Bulge together wasn't even their courage or their discipline or their training. What pushed these men through, the only thing that kept these men going was their brothers in battle, not wanting to let them down. Even when they were afraid, they didn't want to let their brothers down down because they knew that the next man depended on him and he depended on him. Well, today, as we get ready for this new year, I know that many of you maybe are making resolutions and maybe um, making decisions about changes that you want to make in your life about eating better, working out or stopping smoking or all kinds of other things. One of the things that I want to challenge you this year to make a change in is to become a friend that others can depend on. The men of easy company could depend on each other. And I wanna challenge you in 2024 to become friends that others can depend on. Today, we're gonna see four friends who were just that. They were dependable friends. And they were so dependable that they did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me over to the book of Mark, we're going to be in Mark chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. Please take one as a gift from us. Mark is in the New Testament, which is on the right side of your Bible. It's the second book of the New Testament. Mark chapter two is where we're going to be at starting there in verse one. Mark is one of four books that we call the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we call them that because the word gospel means good news, and they tell us the good news about Jesus, right? They tell us about his birth that we looked at uh, over the last couple of weeks. We, they tell us about his teaching and his miracles. They tell us about his death and his resurrection. They, they tell us the good news about Jesus. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 is where we're going to start at today. So read along with me if you have it. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left for them, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So let's pause there for just a moment because there's some context that we need. So Jesus has returned to Capernaum. In chapter one of Mark, he had already traveled along through Capernaum a number of different times. And Jesus had shown the people in the area that he had authority over the mind by his teaching. They were amazed at his words that he, he shared. He, he shared that he uh, had authority over uh, people's bodies because of the healings that he had done. He showed his authority over the spirit by casting out demons And so Jesus returns again to Capernaum to a house, maybe even the house of Simon Peter, one of his followers, and news about Jesus spread throughout the whole city. In fact, everybody was eager. They had heard about the miracles. Maybe they had seen some of them. They had heard his teachings. And so they were eager to see Jesus once again. And so they come and they fill the house and they fill outside the house. In fact, there wasn't even room outside of the doors for the people. They were just crowding around, trying, to listen to Jesus. And so Jesus preaches to these packed out crowds, but even these large crowds aren't going to stop these four friends, these four determined friends from getting their buddy to Jesus. Look at the next verse in verse three. So some men came bringing a man bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four friends. And since they could not get in uh, get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered the mat uh, lowered the mat the man was laying on. Let's pause there for just a moment. So these guys heard, like everyone else in town, that Jesus was coming back to town. And they were excited because they knew that Jesus was the last hope that their friend had. That if he had any hope of of walking again, that it was going to have to be because of Jesus. But what they and this man really wanted or really needed wasn't what they came looking for. But they came and they loaded this man up and they brought him to Jesus anyway. But there was a problem. The crowds were so large that they couldn't even push through to get this man, their friend, to Jesus. But that didn't stop them. They were determined to get their friend to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof and they begin to tear a hole in the roof of this house where Jesus is teaching at, and they lower their friend down. To get to Jesus, the, these four men brought their paralyzed friend on a mat, hoping to get him to Jesus to be healed so that he could walk again. But they couldn't because of the crowds. And like many of the homes there in the area, this house had probably had a stairway that led to a flat roof on top. And on that roof was, was made of, of grass and clay and, and mud and a lath roof. And so they dug a hole through this roof above Jesus and they lowered their paralyzed friend down, probably using fishing ropes that they had picked up along the way. They couldn't push through the crowds. And so they made their own way to get their friend to Jesus. Now, these four friends could have not even tried at all. They could have said, well, there's no hope for this guy. He's never walked before in his life and he's never gonna walk again or he's never gonna be able to walk. And so why do we even try, right? There's no hope for him, but they did. They said, you know what? We're gonna take our friend Jesus. And then when they got to the house that he was at, they could have looked at the crowd and said, well, you know, we tried, We, you know, we brought them all this way, but the crowds were just too large and we couldn't get our friends to Jesus and they could have given up and, and gone home, but they didn't. These determined friends did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. And they got me wondering, I wonder if you and I have some friends who need to get to Jesus. And are we as determined as these four guys to get them there? I want to challenge us this year in 2024 that we will become like these four friends, that we will do whatever we have to to get our friends who are lost to Jesus. What's standing between God and our friends and our coworkers and our family who are far from Jesus? What's standing between God and those he is trying to reach? I love what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter five. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, you and I are ambassadors for the king. We are ambassadors for Jesus. So are we imploring our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors to be reconciled to God? Is it as though God is making his appeal through us as Paul says? Are we doing whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus? Friends, let's make a way for our coworkers and our neighbors and our family and our friends to hear about Jesus. Let's set our minds and be as determined as these guys in Mark chapter two to get our friends to Jesus. Now, what this man and what his friends thought that they needed, what they were looking for, wasn't really what they needed but it's what they found anyway. Look at the next verse in Mark chapter two, verse five. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. So these guys had carried their friend on a mat to find Jesus. The crowds were too large. They couldn't get in to see him. They didn't let that stop them. They climb up on the roof, they tear a hole, they lower him down so that he can be healed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. <laughs> Jesus, thanks. <laughs> we, we really appreciate that but uh, I don't know if you could see this or not, but he can't walk. <laughs> and that's why we brought him to you, right? Yeah, Jesus, you know, they they carried me all this way. They lowered me down out of the roof. Um, and uh, I appreciate the forgiveness and all, but it was pretty scary being lowered down on that mat. I thought they were gonna drop me right on your head. I, I didn't know what was gonna happen. Thank you for forgiveness. But really what I came for was for you to heal me. You see, as true as it was then, it is today what people need the most Is oftentimes what people aren't looking for. Some of the teachers of the law that were in the crowd, they understood what Jesus was saying. They got it, and they had a problem with it. They knew that God alone is the one who has authority to forgive sins, and they were right. But what they didn't see was that Jesus was and Jesus is God and he has authority to forgive sins. And so they thought that Jesus was blaspheming God. They didn't realize and they didn't believe, but Jesus was getting ready to show them by healing this paralyzed man that not only does he have authority over the body, but he has authority to forgive sins. Look at verse eight of Mark chapter two. get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up and he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have seen, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus says, look, what would be easier for this man to hear? Now, at this time, many believed that this man was paralyzed either because he had sinned or because his parents had sinned. And so Jesus takes this man from where he was and he meets him where he was. But then the teachers of the law wanted to cause a fuss. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to show not only his authority to heal the body, but his authority to be able to forgive sins. Now, friends, this is of most importance. And so if you tuned out, uh, I ask that you wake back up for this. What people need most isn't what most people are looking for. You see, there are a lot of benefits to us following Jesus. But many of those benefits of following Jesus can be found in other places as well. For instance, following Jesus gives us a connection to other people, but so does a hobby and and work. So does going to the gym to some extent. Following Jesus also provides us a sense of purpose and and fulfillment. And to some extent, so do other things, right? Family and work uh, and success and things like that. Following Jesus also provides us with a, a code of morality right? Knowing right from wrong, a way of living rightly. But to some extent, so do other religions and governments and man-made laws. Following Jesus provides us with a responsibility to care for other people, right? That are less fortunate than us. The people groups that are hurting and poor, the, the widows and orphans, but so do other humanitarian groups as well. Now, all of these things are benefits to us following Jesus. And there are many more than this. But what Jesus provides that no other religion provides, what Jesus provides that no other organization provides, what Jesus provides that no other group, no other people, no other government, no other law, nor anything else can provide, And even though it may not be what most people are looking for, it's exactly what every one of us needs. Jesus is the only one who has authority to do it. He is the only one who can meet your and I, our greatest needs. He is the only one who can meet the greatest needs of everyone who has ever lived, that ever is living or ever will live. And it isn't health, and it isn't happiness, and it isn't money, it isn't success, it isn't morality, is isn't fulfillment, it isn't connection. Our greatest need is this. It's found in Romans chapter six, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Friends, you see, your greatest need and mine is having our paychecks, our wages that we've earned because of our sin taken away from us. You see, you and I, we deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God. We have earned the wrath of God. Paul tells us in Romans chapter three, verse 23, that we all have sinned. That doesn't leave anybody out. That's everybody. That's you, that's me, that's him, that's her. That's all of us. That's everybody. In fact, John tells us in his letter that if we claim that we are without sin, that we are lying to ourselves. We all have this need, the need to have our sins dealt with, the need to have our sins forgiven. And Jesus has and is the only one who can provide for the greatest need of everyone. Listen to the rest of that verse in Romans chapter six. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but I love that word when it's in scripture, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, you and I have earned. We deserve, you deserve, I deserve the wrath of God to be punished for all eternity because we all have sinned and fall short of what God expects. But even though you and I have earned death, those three letters take a hopeless situation and flip it upside down. You and I have earned death for all eternity. We have earned being separated from God for all eternity, but God didn't want to leave us hopeless. But the gift of God, it's a gift because you and I don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. It's given to us freely. It's a gift of God has been given to us through Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the anointed one of God, who is the Lord, the boss, the gift that he gives Even though we deserve death, he gives eternal life. Even though we deserve wrath, he gives us forgiveness. So how is this gift? How is this but possible? Well, because as Jesus shows this crowd and the teachers of the law and these four friends and these paralyzed man and everyone else, in Mark chapter 2, he alone has the authority to provide for our greatest need. He alone has the authority to forgive sins. Because Jesus has taken your paycheck and mine of death. Of the wrath of God on Himself on the cross once for all, and has given us what we don't deserve, what we haven't earned. He has given us forgiveness and life, even though we deserve death and separation. Look back again in that verse in Second Corinthians, the end of verse 21 of chapter 5. It said God made him who had no sin to be sin. For us, so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Jesus, who was without sin, became sin, took on sin for you and for me. He took on the sin that we deserve to be punished for on himself, on the cross. Peter says that Jesus in his body bore our sins and his death on the cross. And friends, he's waiting to say to you today, like he said to this paralyzed man, son, daughter, your sins are taken care of. Your sins are forgiven. Your greatest need is taken care of. Here is the gift that you haven't earned and that you have, that you don't deserve, forgiveness and life. Jesus is calling you today to come and to follow him, to come and to put your trust in him. Is the only one who has authority to forgive sins, to come and to repent of your sins and turn to God, to come and meet Jesus in baptism and have your sins forgiven, to have your debt to sin erased, to be reconciled to God through Jesus today. Now it may not be what you're looking for, but it's exactly what you need. It's what all of us need. Friends, if that's you, I would love to have that conversation with you today. I'm gonna be down front in just a little bit. I'd love to talk to you about what that means, what that looks like, or call or text me anytime. But for those of us who already have had our sins forgiven by Jesus, we've been given a great responsibility. We saw it all already in Second Corinthians that we are his ambassadors. So friends, let me ask you, what do you need to do and what do I need to do in 2024 to help bring our friends to Jesus? What do you and I need to do to push through the crowds? What do you and I need to do to tear open the roofs so that our friends can come to the feet of the only one who has the authority to forgive sins? Do we need to push through the crowds? Do we need to tear open the roofs? Let's be as determined as these friends in Mark chapter two this year to bring our friends who are far from Jesus to the feet of Jesus. And my guess is what most of them really need is for us just to clearly tell them the good news about Jesus for the first time. In fact, that's one of the missions that God has given us as a church here that we would help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus. And we backed it up with one of our goals that we have as a church for each one of us to reach one. And so let's make that a a part of not only just us as a church, but us as individuals in 2024, that we will help everyone discover their relationship with Jesus, that each one of us will reach one this year. Let's make that a, a, a resolution that we have for our lives this year, that we will become friends that others can depend on. So what roofs are standing between others and God? And what can you and I do help to help tear holes in them? How can we help our friends and our family and our coworker discover their relationship with Jesus? Maybe it's a conversation. Maybe it's an encounter, a smile, a caring ear. Maybe it's you and me being as determined as these guys in Mark 2 to do whatever it takes to get our friends to the feet of the one who forgives sins, of the one who meets our greatest need. How might we be the friends that others can depend on in 2024? We have been dropped behind enemy lines in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our community, And it may seem like we are all alone, but we stand alone together. What can we do to help reach those who are far from Jesus this year? We pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, the responsibility that you have given us to be friends that others can depend on, to be friends that will bring our friends to you because you alone are the one who can forgive our sins. You are alone are the one who gives us this gift of everlasting life. You are alone are the one who has the authority to wash us clean, because you took your son who knew no sin and he became sin so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, if there are those who are far from you this morning who are listening, would you call them to yourself? Those of us who already have responded to you, would you move us to love and to care for our friends and our family enough to share with them the good news of your son, Jesus? (coughs) To help share with them the truth that he is calling to them to come and be forgiven. Father, this year, as we start new, as we recommit ourselves to the changes and the actions that are gonna make us better followers of you, help us to be friends that others can depend on. Help us to be brothers and sisters that are better together. Father, use us this year to be a people who shares the good news and helps everyone discover their relationship with you through your son, Jesus. And we ask all of this in his name, amen.